The first New Testament church in Acts chapter 1 started 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And the growth was staggering. And we know that from scriptures because it, 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 it really brings you on the journey of its first year of growth. In one year, the church grew from 120 in an upper room. Then on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to that, making it 3,120. And then by the end of Acts chapter 4, just two chapters later, Acts chapter 4 says that they were now numbering 5,000. And then it says 5,000 men didn't even include the women and the children, which those numbers then could skyrocket it even more. In fact, they were saying, some historians, that women were getting saved faster than the men were. So those numbers can just go up astronomically. The low estimate of Jerusalem at this time was that a population of 25,000 it, it, just for a moment, think about that. If Jerusalem was actually 25,000 and you had 5,000 in that first church, that literally 20% of the church of, uh, made up the population of Jerusalem. What a force and a foundation God was placing in Jerusalem with the first church that would start. But an enemy was going to raise up against the church that could have derailed all this. In fact, the church was on the verge that I want to share with you of being neutralized and even becoming somewhat irrelevant. And it's un, an underestimated enemy that is not only present in the church, but it's present in our homes and in our society where quarrels and conflicts, discord and division literally sabotage a church's future. It could sabotage not only a, a church's future, a family's future, country's future. It has that type of ramifications. There is a phrase that was used that launched the church in Acts chapter 1 and 2. The very first church on the day of Pentecost, this is what it says was the launching phrase before the Holy Spirit came down and filled that 120. The Bible says that in that upper room on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord. That is such an important phrase. In fact, do you know that that word, and I wanted to put this on the screen for you so you could see it. That word one accord appears in the book of Acts 10 times and was critical that it underpinned so many of the movements of God from the day of Pentecost to so many others that it talked about when there is a unity there is a great move of God that happens. And a couple of those shows it even when evil unites. There was a couple of moments on the one accord that it is evil uniting. But it shows the force of unity that takes place. I have a friend who gave me his commentary on that Acts chapter 2 uh, on the upper room. The Bible says in Acts 2.1, and they were all in one place in one accord, a unity that God needed a unity before he was going to open up the heavens and send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And my friend said, he said, if you notice, Acts 2.1 says they were in one accord. And Acts 2.2 says, suddenly there was, came a sound from heaven. And he says, I believe that the suddenly was the Father in heaven going, listen, you better send the Holy Spirit now because you put 120 people in an upper room, they're, they're going to get out of discord really fast. So you better do something immediately because of how 
dangerous it is to, 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 to when the church becomes disunified. See, when you lose one accord, you lose being that one voice. And the church only wins the fight against external enemies with one voice and in one accord. Now here's the part I want you to get. I have to explain this to you. In order for the church to be an influence, the church must find, and here comes a musical term, must find its middle C again. That middle C is what every keyboard is tuned to. It's what instruments are tuned to. It is a standard. It is, a, it is the very thing. Listen to how A.W. Tozer, the great Christian writer, describes it. He says it like this. He said, if you have 100 concert pianos and you tune the second piano to the first, the third to the second, the fourth to the third, until you have tuned all 100 of them, you will have discord and disharmony. But if you tune each piano to the same tuning fork, the middle C, you would have harmony and unity. And so too in the body of Christ, when we each tune our lives to Christ, we have unity. See, that is key. We don't tune to people's notes. We don't tune to people's preferences. We don't tune to culture and denominations. We tune to Jesus Christ himself. That is our, Jesus is our middle C. And when we find ourselves beginning to tune to anything else, church, listen, if we don't, then conflicts and quarrels and divisions occur. Here it comes, because there'll be a thousand middle C's in this room where everyone wants their opinion and preference catered to and their taste. There's some people, we don't sing enough of hymns. We don't sing enough gospel. We sing too much contemporary or it's too loud, it's too soft. Or why do you baptize in, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why don't you baptize in Jesus only? And why don't you do this? Why do you serve communion like this? Why do you have those little packets? And why can't you have one big piece of bread and a giant cup? And why, why, why don't you, Pastor Tim, wear skinny jeans and a, and a skull cap? That one should be easy answered right there, okay? That one should, because I'm 60. So that's why I don't do that. But, but listen to me, because everybody has all these tastes and all these preferences. But folks, let's be clear here. We're not tuning to your preference. We're not tuning to your taste. And, for, and if you want to find a church that meets your need, start it yourself. Because then you get to do everything you want to do. But trust me, that's why we have 45,000 denominations. Is because people want us to tune to them instead of tuning to Christ, who is the only voice that matters. Q is quarrels, conflicts, and discord and divisions. And if we can't resolve them, then somebody is using the wrong tuning fork when it doesn't get resolved. I was reading about a church in the southwest part of America and the United States that decided to split. It was one of those factions that came in. In fact, it was so divisive, they filed a lawsuit 
that who, which faction, which side would get the church property. One has to leave and one gets to keep the building. And a judge finally referred the matter to the higher authorities for, in this particular denomination. And it was a church court that assembled to hear both sides of the case and awarded the church property to one of those two factions. And this is what was incredible. During the hearing, the church courts learned that the conflict all began at a church dinner after church. With, and it happened when a certain elder of the church got a, bigger, got a smaller slice of ham than the child sitting next to them. And he felt dishonored because he didn't get enough of ham that the kid, I'm an elder and I deserve more ham. And what's amazing is the newspaper reported that's why the church split. That's why the building. Folks, let me explain something about ham and food in the church. This is not something new. And I'm going to show you this in the scriptures. This food fight is not only happening in the 21st century as it happened even in the first century. It is, there's a war that goes on to begin to bring quarrels and divisions inside of the church. Let me show it to you. Acts chapter 5 is the story that some of you who have grown up in the church know. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It's the people that lied about giving in the offering. And let me just, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it real simple, but and they, they lied and they died. It was that, I always say that... Um, um, they took the offering, they lied what they put into it, and I always say that I would have loved to seen the next offering that was going to be taken at that day. Everybody was giving in that offering at that time. I really believe that. Um, but we get, because of the intensity of that story of Ananias and Sapphira, we miss the rest of the chapter, which is so significant. Because the rest of this chapter, the first church goes in Acts chapter 5, right after the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the first church goes through three waves of persecution in Acts 5, 17 through 42. And each time, they bounce back with a resilience. Nothing stopped it. Every time it got hit, it rose up with strength. The first wave was in verses 17 through 25. The authorities, the Bible tells us, takes all 12 apostles to jail. Think about that. These are your leaders and they're all thrown in jail. And then the second wave happens in verses 26 through 33. And the authorities bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin. It's this famous a moment in the book of Acts where they tell them, the authorities at that time said, you cannot preach in this name of Jesus. And then the famous line, they look at that Sanhedrin and say, we ought to obey God rather than men. And then the third wave comes, more intense than the other two, and the authorities, this is a strong word, Times Square, flogged all 12 of those apostles. And what, what people don't realize is that that word flog means 39 uh, it was lashes that with, that, with, with, a, with a device that would rip the skin off the body. 39 times. Paul talked about it happened to him. 
that he was flogged with, with, um, with one less than 40. It was the 39. Jesus was flogged with that. And all 12. Now, folks, I want to read to you their response after going before the Sanhedrin, thrown into jail, and every one of them being flogged. You have to see this response. This is the way Acts 5 ends. Here it is. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, listen to it now. So they went on their way from the presence of the council. Okay, look at this next word. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, and then it says this, and Every day in the temple, from house to house, okay, they were told, don't preach. They kept right on teaching and right on preaching that Jesus is the Christ. That's incredible to me. How amazing is this? Now, you have to remember, Acts 5 ends with this great victory. So that means what comes next is not only insightful, it really is somewhat insidious, an insidious attack of hell, because the next attack is not from the outside, but it really is a ham fight. It's, it's the fight of, it's a food fight, just like that church that I told you about, that the resilient New Testament church was about to be put in a situation where a quarrel was about to cause a conflict, a division, and could have upended the influence of the church that they were fighting over food. Here's what it says, Acts 6.1, right after the external fight, the internal fight comes. During this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers. Hellenists, they were called, toward the Hebrew-speaking believers because their widows were being discriminated against the daily, in the daily food lines. It was a group of people saying the outsiders uh, were saying we're not getting as much food as the inside. Just because we don't speak Hebrew and Aramaic, why are you giving them, why are you beginning to, to discriminate against us? Again and again, the church warded off frontal and external attacks only to find themselves trying to be subverted within. And it shows us that Satan tries to disrupt this inner peace in the early church. While wonderful things were happening, the church is growing and the enemy saw it and the enemy begins to sow a spirit of murmuring and gossip amongst God's people. Now, I want to read to you something that shows how devastating this is from if you think about ham fights and 45,000 different denominations and the challenge that the church has is not going to be, folks, listen, the challenge that we're going to have in our homes and in our churches for the organization and the churches that you may run that are listening to me is not going to be, our challenge is not going to be the external fight. It is going to be a unity in the house of God. Listen to what one pastor said. I, I want to read to you the whole thing because it's the last part that was, was so solemn and so sobering to me. This is what he said. He said, what the Lord laments and opposes, Satan applauds and fosters. Few things demoralize, discourage, and weaken a church as much as bickering, backbiting, and fighting among its members. Because of quarreling, here it comes, the father is dishonored. The son is disgraced. 
His people are demoralized and discredited and the world is turned off and confirmed in unbelief. Now here it comes, church. That means we have fractured fellowship robs the Christian of joy and effectiveness. It robs God of glory and it robs the world of the true testimony of the gospel. Here it is. What a high price for an ego trip. Don't miss that last part. Because that's the fight. It's somebody standing up going, I want this. I want this to take place. I need this to happen. If this is my, I pay tithes. I give offer. And all of us, and you're going, you're willing to fracture the effectiveness of the church. To discredit the testimony. Rob God of the glory. What a price for an ego trip. And this is where God goes, we've got to get this right. That if we don't begin to fix the fights, we, we, un, we have to understand, it sabotages the future. And we might think everybody would have been so occupied with the blessings of Acts 5 that there was no room for murmuring. But it happened between the Grecian Jews, the Hebraic, Hebraic Jews, and, and, and it all happened over food distribution. But what happens next is amazing because God needed that to be fixed. Here, I want to make this point to you. It's so important. Fix the fights and you'll fix the future. Fix, address the fight. People always, I, I, I used to hear this all the time. We need to get back to the Old Testament, the New Testament church, the early church. We need to get back to the early church. I'm going, okay, we, we can do that. This is when people give everything. This is where people die during the offering. They're going like, I don't mean that early. Maybe just a few years ago. Because this is, this is serious stuff. But here's what God did. God goes, I have to fix it. Now here's the part. I didn't say it in the first service, but I want to say it to you. Up till Acts 6, everything was right there in Jerusalem. God didn't allow the church to expand until it dealt with the internal fighting that was there. He says, I can't have you exporting your own bondage and exporting your own divisions until we get it right inside the church. Because once you start reading Acts chapter 8, remember, Acts 6 is the fight, the food fight. Acts 7 is Stephen's speech. But Acts 8, the gospel starts going out. Starts hitting Samaria. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to tell you something really amazing that happens right after, right at the end of Acts chapter 8. God goes, I can't let this go far until we start dealing deep in the body of Christ. So you have to get ready for this because this is in, so important. Because I want you to think about what happens? Because this is the church that has withstood jail time, persecution, flogging, accusation. And now it's about to face, in my opinion, which is going to be its most formidable enemy. And that's division in the church. This is going to be, this will be harder than facing what was coming against them. Jail time and persecution. It's interesting that 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 18 says this. Paul goes, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And Paul, and Paul is so funny. Paul goes, I believe it. He goes, he says, for there must be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. You know what Paul was saying? Quarrels and divisions will prove people and expose people. That's what he was telling them. 
He said, because there's going to come fights. There's going to come, there's going to come those fights. And he says, this is what we have to realize. It doesn't mean that they don't come, but we have to make sure that we address them correctly because that's the danger that comes. It's the ego trip that robs God of the glory and the ineffectiveness of the church. I was reading the story of a young pastor um, who heard a commotion in his backyard. This young pastor looked outside and saw his daughter and several of the young kids from the church playing in the backyard, but it was, they were in a heated quarrel, screaming at each other. So the young pastor walked out and told his daughter, and, and he was about to stop them, and she goes, Dad, 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 don't worry about it. We're just playing church. And so when you think about that's what they hear. That's what they hear. So that's why we have to figure out how do we fix our food fight because this will determine future of ministry. And I want to say this. I truly believe that this is not just for TSC. This is for those that are watching from all different countries, from Japan and South Korea, for those that are watching in Kenya and South Africa, those that are watching in Sweden and the Netherlands, and for Italy. This is God speaking to leaders, whether you run a church or one of the leaders in a church, a 501c3, a missions organization. This is critical for what happened. When we lived in Detroit, we bought this house just literally just a half a mile from this, this triple X theater that we bought and turned into a church. And we bought this old, old house um, that Cindy and I had. And I remember us working in the basement trying to make that even just even livable in a play area for the kids. So we went down to the basement and there was the, the walls, the brick had all this bubbled up paint. So we, we, um, scraped all of it, and then just repainted it. And within weeks, maybe a month, all the brand new paint bubbled up again. Then we just, you know, once again, I'm, I'm no handyman. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going, just repaint it again. So we repainted it again, and it bubbled up again. What, what we were doing was we're trying to paint over something, and the problem is in, there's a leak coming in somewhere. And we're trying to cover it with eggshell white paint. You, folks, let me just say, when there is a leak, you can, you can dress it up all you want. You've got to dig deep in, and we had to. We had to hire somebody who had to go in and says, you have a, you, you have a drainage problem, you have to go in, and I'm going like, I, I'm thinking a can of paint fixes this. And, and, and that man was going, the professional goes, I've got to dig down deep. And folks, this is what needs to happen. We need to dig deep on this. We need to go to the place that God wants to go. Because they were committed to this, not just to solve a problem, but really to change the culture of that church. And I'm going to show you what they did. Because this is exactly what the apostles did. The way that they changed, they didn't just sit there and say, order more ham. That, that could have been, think about it. If they would have just said, order more food. Tell, tell finance, order more food. Go to Costco right there in Jerusalem. Who has a Costco card? And then all of a sudden you send them there and say, let's get more. That wasn't the, you know how they started first? Folks, we have deacons today because of that, first of all. They said, let's not fix it with just buying more food. Because folks, here's what happens. That would have been paint on the wall and it would have bubbled over again. But they had to figure out, what is God asking us to do? And I'm telling you, what they did, and this is the best way I can explain it. 
And let, let me say it like this. Three things happened when they fixed the fight right. Three things happened. Let me tell you what happened in the book of Acts, right here in chapter six. Number one, the apostles got focused. They said, hey, we've got to be committed to prayer and the word. But if you're asking us to step away from what God has called us to do and to order more food, you're, you're, you're minimizing what our gifting is. But number two, new leaders rose up because they, they began to get deacons. You know what happens? This is what's incredible. If the disciples were the ones that were supposed to fix it, then you never would have heard of Stephen or Philip because the 12 kept fixing it. Because that's what happens sometimes. People just go, uh, I, I don't like what's going on. Pastor Tim, change this. Pastor Tim. And I want to go, let me pray and, re and preach the words. Let me do what I'm supposed to do. My job is to make sure we have the deacons and the elders that can begin to do what, 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 not, what you don't need me doing. You don't need me ordering more ham at Costco. You need me to get ready for letter R next week. Here's what happens. If they don't do that, you don't see Stephen and Philip raise up in the church. Okay, I have to stop here because that's an important one. Um, Stephen and Philip raise up. Why is this important? Number, I'll come back to Philip in a second. How about Stephen? Stephen, got, they put their hand on Stephen and Stephen preaches the second longest sermon in the New Testament, next to the Sermon on the Mount in Acts chapter seven. He becomes the first martyr of the church, is what Stephen does, preaches in all of Acts seven. And here's what's amazing. His death is so insightful to us because of what happened at his death. Now, we said this, the apostles got focused, new leaders raised up, and more people got reached than ever before, all because they fixed the fight right. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Think of what was happening that day, because you know what was taking place? I'm going to tell you, is we don't realize that the choosing of those leaders, a continent, and New Testament epistles were in the balance if this fight was not fixed. A continent and much of your New Testament was all in the balance if they would have just ordered ham at Costco. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Here it comes. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, is a, they're, they're, these men are gonna stone him because they said he blasphemed. And there is Stephen at the end of Acts chapter seven. The Bible says his face became that of an angel. It says that he began to pronounce forgiveness. Father, don't hold this against them, but forgive them for what, they, for what they're doing to me right now. And folks, this amazing insight, I believe it's an insight to what happens when a believer dies. The Bible says that Jesus, who ascended into heaven, and here's what Acts 1 says, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, Read Acts chapter 7. At the very end, the Bible says this, and Stephen looked up into heaven and Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. I have this sense that when a believer is about to go into eternity, they get a vision of heaven before they leave this planet. I, I, I don't, folks, you can, 
you can challenge me on this all you want, but I'm going to tell you, when you get to the end of your life, you're going to want to believe me more than you. And that's this. I believe that not one of those rocks, he felt one of those rocks because the overwhelming feeling of I'm going into eternity to be with Jesus. I'm telling you to have this thought that when it's time to enter in eternity, that Jesus raises for his sons and daughters and says, well done, good and faithful sir. Folks, I'm telling you, that brings joy. I'm glad they chose Stephen. I'm glad. But here's what's amazing. That Stephen was right there. And here's what's incredible. There is, as Stephen is pronouncing forgiveness, as Stephen is shining like an angel, the face of an angel, there is a young man there that is gathering up all the clothing of all the men that were throwing rocks to kill Stephen. You know who that man was? That was Saul, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul, who would eventually write, who would eventually write 13 New Testament epistles that God was going, don't fix the ham problem and buy a bunch of food. Let's get the deacons. Let's get Stephen. Let's put it. And if you can find your Stevens and your Phillips, you can begin what they didn't even realize that those deacons were going to be the very ones that would inspire Paul to come to saving faith in Christ that would literally turn him to become one of the greatest Christians of all church history. But it's not there. It's not over with. The other guy is Philip. Remember Philip? Acts chapter 8, at the very end, Philip is told to run next to a chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch, shares the gospel with him from Isaiah 53, and they say that the entrance of the gospel into the continent of Africa, where there exists today over a half a billion believers today, started all the way there when Philip shared the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch. Folks, I'm telling you, if you can fix the food fight right in your church, in your organization, God goes, I've got continents. I've got people to raise up. I got people to save. I just got to let you get this right for what God wants to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because they address the fight internally correctly, they get a Paul, they get a Stephen, they get a Philip, they get a continent. Don't sit, don't minimize the fights that go. The enemy knew if he can disrupt the church and just get these disciples from not no from the apostles to no longer preach, but to be standing online getting food. He could disrupt the future. Fix the fight. You fix the future. Fix the fight. Some of you may be sitting in this place. You may be a church leader. You may run an admissions organization. I'm telling you, understand, when the fight internally happens is because there is a future the enemy is fighting against. Folks, I'm telling you that right now. Those that are listening online, some of you are, are letting these fights go on. And I'm telling you, it has to stop. Because the church of Jesus Christ has a work that it's supposed to do. Now, some of you are going like, why are you spitting on everybody? Because I'm excited for what God is going to get ready to do. So, let's not repaint the wall. We've got to dig deep and find the leak. And I think it's by us facing the quarrels and the conflicts because there is an effective future in the balance. So in order to do this, 
we have to go to the source of quarrels and conflicts. This is where we're going to end. Now, when I say this is where we're ending, it means nothing. So here's what I'm, here's, but because I want to finish with this. We go to the source, which is the book of James. And this issue is brought out in James because he gets to the root of conflict. He gets to the source of conflict. Anybody ever said this about a certain situation? Has anybody ever said this? Why is everything always an argument with them? Just look straight ahead. Just look straight ahead. Don't look at anybody. Okay. Have you ever said this? Why can't we just simply discuss this like adults? Why, does it, why, why is it always volatile when we've got to deal with something in this household, in the church? Why is it that one board member, why is it that one teammate, that anytime you approach something, anytime you talk about finance, or it is a, 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 an explosion. So now you have to go with a pit in your stomach going, what's going to happen? What are they going to do? Folks, that to me is gross. I couldn't think of any other word. It just, but it just is. And James gets to, the, gets to the source of this. I was thinking of the story of the man who was stranded on a desert island. Nobody was there except this one man. And after a year, he was rescued by a, a boat that was passing by. And when, the, when they finally picked this man up, they looked on the beach. And he had three huts on the beach. And they go, weren't you by yourself? He said, yes. He says, then why are there three huts on the beach? He goes, well, that's my home. That's the church that I go to. And that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> he couldn't even get along with himself. And that's what usually happens when you're dealing with conflict. You can't even get along with yourself. Think of the question. Here's the question. What causes fights and quarrels among you. You see that phrase? I put it in quotes. Do you know why? Because it's a Bible question. This, that question is in the Bible. That question could be superimposed upon Acts chapter 6. If James was written, they could have said, let's go to James chapter 4 and look at this. And here is what James does. James begins to look at this section of scripture and James goes right for the juggler. He minces no words here, goes right to the source. And in fact, he uses the word source. James is about to tell you the source of conflicts and quarrels in the church, in marriage, with roommates, with children and parents. And, and even, I think, with your biggest relationship with you and God that you may be in a fight with today. Here's what James says. Look at, look at the first part, James 4.1. What is the, that's the word that took me out. What is the source? What is the foundation? Where does it come from? What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Why are there 40, let, let's, let's look at, why are there 45,000 denominations? Why, why is it that you're fighting over a piece of ham church, church in Southwest of the United States? Why, why are you fighting over this in Acts chapter six? It's all here. And then James starts to answer the question. Look at what he says. He says, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? And then he says this, you lust and you do not have. So you commit murder. Folks, this, this is heavy. And, I, and I'll explain this. 
You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You know, one of the shortest answers ever written to a letter in a, in a newspaper op-ed piece was written some decades ago by the great Christian writer G.K. Chesterton. It was a weekend religious part, and someone wrote in. He would answer questions in the London Times, and they asked the great Christian writer this, this, this huge question. They said, Mr. Chesterton, what's wrong with the world? And here is the only thing the article said. What's wrong with the world? Chesterton simply said this, I am. He comes back and realizes it starts with me. That's what James was saying, folks. James was saying that it starts with me. It's me looking at my own life. I've had the, the opportunity over 40 years of ministry to do marital counseling and to sit with husbands and wives on the verge of divorce and, and, and with the intensity um, that some of them have, have uh, I, I think back and just, wow, I just, I, I, at times I'm, I'm just amazed of the grace of God and the mercy of God with some of these couples. And what I do, I, if, if I'm doing marital counseling for someone, I do the same thing every single time. I give the first 30 to 40 minutes to them to tell me this. I don't say a word. I just go, I always start with the husband because he takes like two minutes. So I always go like, what are you thinking? Is he goes, I don't know, I'm just here. I'm just, because she said, to, she, she, she said to, that, I'm, I'm, that she's leaving if I don't call you up. So that's why I'm here. And I know it's always like that. But then I ask the wife and that's, that's the other 38 minutes. Because she's gonna tell me when, where, what she was wearing, everything that was gonna happen at that thing. She goes, it happened April 12th, I, I cooked, I cooked chicken, he wanted ham, and it, he said it was this, and he went, he went through the, and I just, I let, I let her go, and she, she will just nail it, and, and, and he's like a deer in the headlights, and you're just watching this whole thing unfold, and, I, and I'll just go through it. Is there anything else you need? And they, I, I let them get it all out, and then I ask this question, every single time. I always say this, what are you doing wrong? And they look at me like I just, like I just asked them this scientific Einstein question. Like I said, but okay, I got it. I know what he's doing wrong. You told me, ma'am. And, and sir, you, you don't have anything. But, but, but she, she's already said it. But here's the deal. What are you doing wrong? And this is, I, I've had people go to, I, I don't, I don't think anything. And so this is, this, I said, I said, okay, meeting's over, okay? But here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna go home for one week. I remember I did this to one lady. I said, we're gonna go home for one week, both of you, and you're gonna take a notebook and I'm gonna ask if you wanna meet with me again, 30 minutes every day, you're gonna go before the Lord and say, search me, oh God. Search me. Show me my heart. I had one lady come back with 13 pages. 13 pages. And this is the lady that I said, is there anything you're doing wrong? I can't think of anything. And then she read 13 pages to me of what she did wrong because she was so conditioned that the problem was the other person. See, when you don't look at yourself, you're missing the source is what James says. And the problem will never resolve. You know why some of you are always in counseling? Because you never look at you. You look at everybody else. 
If you're wanting the other person to change without you assessing you, you will always be in the same position. This is what's interesting to me. You know, there's only two times Jesus uses the word church. One deals with conflict outside the church and the other with conflicts inside the church. Matthew 16, that's when he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. External fights. But then in Matthew 18, he talks about reconciliation of brothers and sisters and how the church plays a part of reconciliation. It is the only two times Jesus uses the word church and says it's dealing with external and internal fights. So James has this revelation and two big thoughts that he gives to us that I want to give to you today and then we're going to be done. Here it comes. So you need to get this because this is what James says, how these fights, whether in a church, on a board, in a locker room, in, at your school, if it's a whole bunch of you, your professors at meeting at a Fordham or in what you're going like, why do we always fight at the hospital? Why are we always fighting with our children? Here it comes. James says, I'm going to tell you the source. Get these two things down. Here it comes. Number one, James says, if you're in a fight with someone, it's because there is a fight inside of you. If you're in a fight with someone, James says, then there is a fight inside of you. This is what James says. He goes, is not the source the pleasures that are waging war in your members or inside of you? That's James answering the question. He says, you lust and do not have. You commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. He, he calls it an inside fight. What do you mean, Pastor Tim, by an inside fight? Here it comes. James says what it is. He says, what's the inside fight? You're not getting what you want. That's what it is. Don't look all holy because you know that's what it is. There's a fight that you didn't get what you want. That's eye-opening. And that means it's not them, it's me. So here's the question. Here it comes. Here's the big question. What do I want from somebody that they're not giving to me? Because that's the source of quarrels. Conflicts reveal a struggle inside of me. The war, which helps me to realize, here it comes, that when I'm in a fight with somebody, this is what I start to realize. Don't say that person bothers me. Say that person sanctifies me. Because <laughs> they're revealing something about me. You're looking at them going, they're so unreasonable. They're not, they always are. They're always, and God's going, no, 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 stop. James 4, James 4. It's revealing something inside of you. Let, let, let's explain it this way. Let me, let me ask this question here. How many here are married? Would you raise your hand? Okay, about, about a third of you. Okay, a lot more in the first. For some reason, older uh, married couples come to the 10. Okay, so here it is. Let me just say this. The Bible gives specific challenges and responsibilities. So this is important for even single people to hear. So I want you to hear this. This is what the Bible says. It says, husbands, here's your job in the marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for it. And then it says this. Women, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Is what it says. I was, I was doing, 
I was doing a wedding and th that was part of the ceremony was to repeat Ephesians 5. And I was at an Orthodox church and the, and the bride said, I don't want to say it in English, but I'll say it in Greek. And so either way, it's submit. It doesn't matter whatever language you want to put into it. Another version calls it respect is another one. There's a, the, the Colossians will even use the word respect. Here's what's amazing. What Paul is saying here is this, that when you're not having your needs met, the accusation is interesting because this is what I hear, folks, I'm telling you across the board. It always comes like this, 90% that I'm dealing with those marital counseling things. It, this is how it comes. Husband, she doesn't respect me. And the wife, he doesn't love me. <laughs> a lot of people getting hurt here today. I hear, I hear the groans and the moans. But, but, that's, but what, what Paul is saying, each of you have a need and the other person are called to keep an eye on that need. As a husband, I'm called to make sure that when with Cindy, that what I do, I have to realize, husbands, listen, this is good stuff. All the women said, amen. Here's what I've got to realize. There's a real strong amen corner over here. Here's what, here's what I have to do. I have to realize everything I do for Cindy is saying I love you to her. And what I don't do is not saying I love you to her. And so I have to realize how important. So here's what I have to do. When, when I'm not getting respect, I have to go, why? Instead of me going, she doesn't respect me, I have to go, why am I not giving her something to respond to? Because if she knows she's loved, she will respect. And, and here it comes. And if I know I'm respect, I'm gonna give her something to, that's, it works that way. But what we do is we're going, she doesn't respect, he doesn't love. And that's all of a sudden the fight that you begin to, you, you begin to go. And here's, here's what happens. I, for me, as a husband, this is so important for us to understand in our relationship. And James says, the war is so intense, here it comes, that people are willing to kill something to get what they want. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Here it comes. He, he, James uses this murder word here. Let's even pull out let, that it's physical. They, can, they will kill a marriage kill a ministry, kill a church, kill a relationship, and kill a friendship because they're not getting what they want. That's what James says. That's how devastating this is. Those that are listening, those, those that are with us in person, this is, so, this is so revelatory because people see what has been done to them but never look at what's going on in them. They're always going, he did this, she did this, the pastor did this, everybody. And you're never looking, what's the battle that's going on here? What's the war that's happening? Because James says, when you, see, we have this tendency to minimize the conflict and we'll just simply go, I don't go to that church anymore. We just couldn't get along or I'm leaving the marriage. It just, we, we had irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. And James goes, hold on. I'm not gonna let you be that superficial. James goes, you're not gonna go, well, we just don't get along. James goes, we're gonna talk about a battle inside of you. 
You're not allowed to say we have irreconcilable differences. You're not allowed to be that superficial according to this. James says the war on the outside is from a war on the inside. And he says, and the struggle is not between people. The struggle is within people. That's what he's saying. But that's all the quarrels that we're dealing with. Now, folks, here it comes. Here it comes. Because this is where, where it comes. Conflict, conflict is a revelation of me, and it's a revelation of what is in me. That's why when you start saying stuff like this, I need to get this off my chest. I won't let you people talk to me like that. They're just not listening. I deserve respect. I don't deserve this. I pay the bills. Let me just tell you something. James basically says, says this. He says three times, your passions are at war. Your lust and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. And then James follows up with something more intense as Mark, you come. And this is what he says. And then he throws this verse in there. And this is where we end. And it's kind of a real ending here. But let me say it like this. James says this, he says, you're, you're about to kill something. And he says, I'm gonna tell you why. Here comes the second, this is what he says. You do not have because you do not ask. That's a prayer phrase. We talked about this verse last week, but now we're gonna put it in context. It is a prayer, it's a prayer phrase. And here it comes, this, okay, here it is, sledgehammer, get ready. Everybody take a deep breath because you're about to get hit in the gut. Here it comes, okay? Look at the person next to you and say, are you ready? Okay, here it is. Let me read the verse again. It says, you have not, you have not because you do not ask. And here's what James was saying. Am I trying to get something from someone what I can only get from God? Am I trying, am I trying to get from that woman, that man, something that only God's supposed to give to me? That only God can fill me with that's the second thing here it comes get ready sledgehammer number eight prayerlessness and conflict are always connected I'm telling you as a church and as a family don't pray together and you're gonna have fights I, I, I'm not telling you that if you pray you don't have fights I'm just saying you get to the right part of the fight you deal with the fight correctly you deal with it. Do we, have, do we have fights? I mean, like, do we have fights in the Delina household? I, like, well, folks, look at me. I don't wake up in a suit every morning going like, children, come to me. <laughs> if I tried that in my house, there would be murder. Let me just say that right now. They would kill me. Of course we have fights. But, but because... Cindy and I pray. We pray with our kids. We pray, whether it's over a meal. Start with praying over a meal. Start with praying over a meal. Listen, prayerlessness increases. It doesn't increase the conflict, but I'm just telling you, you're not going to get the conflict right. People who don't pray will have to fight people to get what they want. Don't miss what I just said. People who don't pray will have to fight people to get what they want, and they never get it. You have not because you ask not is powerful in this context, because here's what James is saying. You may be trying to get from people what only God can give to you, 
So, so listen, single people, if you think some man, young lady, is going to give you value, you've missed it. We sang it. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. It's not, it's not what anybody... Because some of you are going like, yeah, I, I you know... I, I asked them out and, and they said no and then all of a sudden you feel rejection. Rejection? What are you talking about? You're trying to get something from them. God goes, you're not rejected. You sang it in the song. I am accepted. I am accepted. So what we're doing is we're trying to get from people value and we're trying to get significance and we're trying to get... And, that, and that's why, folks, let me listen to me. Single people that are frustrated with their singleness. Listen, I, I understand there's lonely moments. I get that. I didn't get married till I was 33. And I get that. Holidays and everything else. I, I understand it. And then you get tired of always being like, okay, table for seven. And there's always like the three couples and you. I get it. I get it. I understand it. I've been there for 33 years. I've been there. But here's the deal. But that's not where my, that's not where my, my value comes from. My value doesn't come with going, table for eight. I've been waiting for this day. Table for eight. Now, now, I'm good. No, 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 mm -mm. And what happens is, then you start putting God-sized expectations on marriage, on people, on children and trying to get from them what only God can give to you. You think, there's some young couples here that actually think that if we can have a baby, it'll fix our marriage. Can I just tell you? That is the furthest thing from the truth. Let me tell you what, mar when you get married, it exposes selfishness. When you have children, you die to self. Children don't fix marriages. Children expose marriages. That's what they do. So that's what you do. So you're trying, to, you're trying to fix it with a child? If we have a child here, that means we're going to get this marriage. No, 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 no. Here's how you fix it. I've got a battle inside of me. And that battle needs to, that battle needs to be acknowledged. That God, I'm trying to get from some, some other place. If I can get that position, if I can become the VP of this organization, if I can get the starting role on that sports team, if I can do this in that locker room, if people would just look at me and instead of me saying I've got my, my master's degree, they're going to call me doctor because I got my PhD. But I, I know I spent 30000 for it, but, but, but man, that brings, that brings significant. Folks, that, that's nonsense. That's not where you get your value. You get it from God is where you get it. That's where you get it from. God gives you the value of who you are. Stand with me. Stand with me. Hallelujah. It's God asking us. It's God asking you. It's God asking our homes to tune to middle C. It's God going, let's hit, let's hit the tuning fork. Let's hit the tuning and let's tune not to what society is asking. Folks, listen, I get it. I get it. I, we have family that thinks you are, that thinks you are less than if you're not married and don't have kids. I get it. I understand it. I would, I would, I remember, I mean, my dad, God bless him. He's with Jesus right now. 
when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? You're 27. Every year. 28. When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? And we would just go. And I mean, it would just happen. And, and, and I understand. He just loved me. And, and the, but listen, I get the family pressure. And they want, because they think that is what's really going to give you a family. My, we, we, that song we were going to, oh, I was looking for the big Ricardo. I was just, and, and I saw you. I was, going, I was looking at her going, you're not six feet six. That, you're six feet six. Okay. I, Ricardo and I were talking about the song, Firm Foundation, when we come. That's, that's my, our foundation is in Christ. It's a foundation that's found in Christ. It's not found, it's not found in anything else. It's not found in saying, I, I, want, I want my dad to be happy with me. I want my mom to be happy. Every time we do that, then there are a hundred middle C's that you're trying to do. And folks, look at me. You won't please everybody. You won't please everybody. And, and your goal, can I just tell you, your job is not to please me. It's not to please Ricardo. You're not here to please us. We're here to please him. I just want to, that's it. That's all we're called to do. I, 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 wanna, I, want, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this today because, because this is so important to us. Is the, is the great Christian writer, Thomas Merton, said it like this. He said, we cannot be at peace with others because we're not at peace with ourselves. And you can't be at peace with ourselves until you're at peace with God. That's just what it is. You're trying, you're trying to make it to get everything right with people and, you, and you're not even at peace with God. And, I, and, and folks, I feel strongly about this because for some of you that are sitting here today, the biggest conflict is between you and God today. And that's why all the relationships this way. Let, Pastor Tim, go on, scrape, scrape it off. Let's see where the leak is. Here it comes. There are people here, here today that are mad at God and you are no longer serving God. You're watching online. Someone sent you this link because... I didn't get, here it comes, the, the, the war. Here's the war. Because I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I asked for. Seriously, Pastor Tim? Here it comes. It goes like this. I asked God to heal my mom, and he didn't. I asked God to give me a baby, but he didn't. I asked God for that job at that, at that company, and he didn't. I asked God to let me get married and they didn't even ask me on a date to juniors. <laughs> if he's taking you to juniors, you didn't want that day in the first place. Let's just say that. Let's just get that out. So let me tell you what you did. You covered up your anger. Here it comes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go for the juggler now. Here it is. So you covered up your anger by calling yourself an atheist or an agnostic because he didn't give you what you wanted. And some of you have even gone, some of you even verbalized it. You're sitting here today and you've, I, I don't even know if God exists. I, I may be an agnostic. And you've said those words. Listen, balcony, online. You've said those words because God didn't do what you asked him to do. And I could see it on some of you. You are so mad at me right now. I, I love it. I love it. Because you're sitting there going like this. takes him so long to close a service. I'm doing this purposely because I want you to feel uncomfortable. 
because you've said those words. I'm an agnostic. I'm an atheist. No, you're not. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I, I really don't. I don't mean it disrespectfully. You're not. You don't not believe in God. You're just angry with God right now. Why? Because you didn't acknowledge there was a war going on inside of your soul. It's that I, I know what's best for me. God knows what's best for you. God knows what's best for you. Here's, so let me throw this in there. So let me throw it in there. This is important. Because, because what happens is this. Because God goes, when you can't find your fulfillment in me, but I want to get married. I want to, God goes, do you actually think I'm going to let you bring confusion to someone else's life and let them... You think I'm going to... Because, and you're going, you didn't answer my prayer. God goes, I'm saving you and them. And if you would have had any kids, I'm saving them also. And so while you're angry with God, because he didn't give you a date, God goes, I didn't give you a date because I'm trying to get you to find your peace and security this way. And you think the answer is this way. God goes, it starts inside. And there's a battle that's going on. There's some of you that are sitting here today. There's a battle that's going on. And there's a great verse in the Psalms. And it says this. I think it's in 144. And it says, he makes all wars cease. Cease. But it starts with an acknowledgement. God, today, I laid down my sword. I'm asking you, God, forgive me of living selfishly with this. The quarrels and the conflicts in my home, in my church, my denomination, in Times Square Church, in my company. God, I'm sitting there going, I want respect. I want honor. I want more. I deserve more money because I saw what the salaries they're getting. I know it. I know. Listen, some of you are looking at me like, going, how does he know? I know. Because you didn't get something. And right now it's just going, God, I trust you. I trust your plan, your timetable, your calendar. And this thing inside of me has made me sit in a worship service like this because there's a battle when it just needs to be like this. You're in charge now. God, I recognize. Can I, can I just, we're going to sing a song. Balcony, main floor, online, you just, you're, you're, you're going to be part of this in a second. But if you're here today and you go, there's a battle in me. There's, this, this has to stop. And today, I want it to, how many would say, there's, there's something, there's a, there's a war inside that needs to stop. There's a war inside. If that's you, as we, hold your hand up. If that's you, hold it up high. Just going, there's a battle inside. If that's you, balcony, main floor, if that's you, as we sing this, would you come? I want to pray for you. To quickly, get out of your seat. Don't mess around with this. Some of you have even called yourself atheists tonight. Quickly, get out of your seat. Let's get down. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to give what only he can give to you. Wherever you're at today, come on, let's sing this. Let's sing this. Hallelujah. Come on, Balcony, if that's you, you can find your way to the exit and come on down.
Hallelujah. 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 When there is a bad relationship or maybe even an unhealthy relationship with God, a bad relationship with God, then it's going to be a bad relationship with people. It just, it can't work any other way. God has, God is what brings the health to our souls. Listen, listen, listen. This is what 1 John says. 1 John says this. It says, if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. It's God calling us to be, it's putting our life, those at the salt, look at me. It's putting our life in the light. Nothing hidden, no motives, none of those things. It's going, this is, this is me. It's putting the light on those things. Let, let me... Let me read this to you. I, I, we didn't have it on the screen because it just hit me during our, our, our altar time last service. And it's from Psalm 139. And this is what we're going to pray here right now for everybody. Listen to what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And here it comes. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Did you see that? He just—he doesn't say. He doesn't go search them, try them, test them. Who, who does he start with? Go to that verse twenty-three again. Search who? Know whose heart? Try who? And know whose anxious thoughts? He kept going, me, my, me, my. That means it's not him, her, them, that pastor. Some of you are so angry with church. You're so angry with a Christian leader. Some of you are watching online. You haven't been to church for two years because you're so angry. And never once, you're looking, they, they didn't do, they did And you just want to go, wait a second, there's a war going on. There's a battle that's going on. God is, go, God is dealing with the war that's going on inside your heart. And that's why it starts with search me first, God. Search me first. Can we just ask him that? Let's come on. Let's just lift our hands. God, come search us right now. Come search me, oh God. Lord, I'm even saying that with these precious people at the front. I'm saying search me. God, as we praying this, I'm praying that you're going to start to heal marriages. You're going to start to heal relationships between moms and daughters and fathers and sons. Search me, oh God. You're going to start healing relationships between leaders and pastors and between even parishioners and people in the church from one congregant to another. Search me, oh God. Try me, oh God. Father, go deep in me. God, today we chosen today not to paint the wall again, but to scrape and dig. Scrape and dig and go, there's a battle in my soul. Oh God. God, I pray you raise up praying people here that says, God, give me what only you can give me. Give me, God, what only you can give me. I pray you raise up a praying household. Raise up praying fathers, praying moms, praying teenagers. I pray a revival of next gen millennials, Gen Zs, oh God, that are going to have prayer lives. They're going to go, I'm getting from God everything that I need. God, raise up church. Raise up your churches to pray again. The conflicts. 
I, I've, okay, folks, let me just say this. I, I feel strongly, I don't even know if it's for here, but I'm going to say it for those online. There are some leaders that are getting ready to split a church and start another church and take about 100 people with you. And I'm telling you right now, it's not God. It's not God. And I want you to listen to me. I, I feel strongly there's someone watching now that you've already talked to the key givers. You've already talked to the key offers to go like, I know we can get a building because so-and-so is going to give. And you're about to split and fracture a church because you never once thought inside, there's a war inside of me because I'm not getting the respect. I should be this. I should. And you're about to split. And I'm saying, stop. That church will not prosper. That church will not prosper. He won't build a church. He won't build a church on factions. He won't build a church on division. He'll build it on the fruit of the Spirit, on the things of God. And I'm telling you right now, I feel strongly about this. And I'm saying to you, I'm not inviting you to this. I'm just telling you this. I'm not inviting any of you. If you don't go to this church, I'm not inviting you here, but I'm just telling you this. And if you're part of one of those churches, you better get out. Because it won't be around long. It won't be around long. If it started from a faction, if it started from a quarrel, you got to go back to the source and go, God, it didn't start right. Let's rebuild on a firm foundation here. Let's rebuild on a firm foundation. And, I, and, and it's so amazing. I have to say, I'm not asking you to come here. I'm not trying to pad our numbers. I've got enough of people to deal with. And you got a pastor that you got to deal with. I've got my own. I got my own construction cones around me. I've got my. I got. But, but here's here's the good deal. Here's the good deal. We're gonna live a life that says, "Try me, search me, know my anxious thoughts, and don't lead me, folks." We all, me included, me included, we all got shortcomings, but we've got a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of a second chance. You know. I have to say this. We're going to sing whatever song is on your heart, whatever song you guys do. I don't just sing a, a, a closing song. But here's what I'm going to ask you. I feel strongly to ask this, and I just feel like it could be for one. I don't, I don't expect more than a few hands. But there's, there's somebody here that God has just, you've, you've uttered the words, I'm an agnostic or I'm an atheist because you've been angry with God. And you don't believe, it's not the, and, I, and you just got, and I say this respectfully. It just got exposed today. It's not that he doesn't exist. I just got angry with him. And I need to come back home to him today. I got to come back home. I, I, I don't know who that is. But, if that, but I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna take a chance. If that's you, I, I just wanna pray. Could, would you just raise your hand? Anybody that just says, that was me, that right there. Anybody else? Anybody else? I wanna make sure, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? I wanna make sure I don't miss anybody else. Anybody else? Hold your hand so I can see it. I can see it. I just want to make sure. There. Okay. That's, that's, I, I just, I didn't think there, I wasn't expecting 50 of you to go. You're all atheists. It was just, I, just, I want to pray, I want to pray that God, I'm, some of our prayer team, just put a hand on the shoulder. Right? Church, stretch out your hand. Father, thank you for the honesty of this man. He's, he's not, God, he believes in you. It's just been, he's been angry. But today, the war is going to cease. And you're going to show him how much he's loved today. There's a work of God that's going to happen in, this, in, this, in his soul. God, his soul is still tender. His soul is still tender. His soul, God, is still soft. And thank you that it's not hardened. 
It's not gone to a bad place, but Lord, today you have rescued him out of that pit. And now you're gonna bring him right back to you today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can we just thank God and rejoice for just a second? Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.